Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live, 101.3 KPCG, online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com as well. Coming up on today's program, look at some headlines, including the bitter cold, the deadly cold here in parts of the U.S. Also, uh, some interesting findings from 2017. Pew did some uh, research, and they found out some interesting things. We'll take a look at what they found out. Also, can money make you happy if you have a lot of it? It's an age-old question. We'll take a look at that and more on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio. We're at 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm. Live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Uh, this is Trumpet Radio Live. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcg.fm. And if you'd like to email us, send comments to comments at kpcg.fm. Happy to look at those uh, for you. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here today. A little bit of snow out there, uh, and I mean very little. It was by three flakes. You said one of them hit you when he came in the door. I just was thinking, what are the chances that the one out of three could actually plunge into my shoulder like that? Somebody mentioned to me just a few minutes ago that it was snowing outside. I went and looked, and I really, I really had a squint. I'm like, where? And then I, when you look against the trees, you can kind of see one or two little flakes coming down. So technically, yes, <laughs> snowing not not like in Erie, Pennsylvania, where they have like fifty some odd inches of snow. <laughs> We have about fifty flakes. I'll take that. I'll take. I'll take what we have right now over what they're going through in Erie, where they just basically had an entire like clouds worth of snow, like an entire sky's worth of snow, just dumped right on top of them. Yeah, it's amazing. I think they had to get the national guard out to try to help the people, and it gets to be an emergency after a while. You know, for a while it's fun. You're like, hey, we got a, quit a pretty good snowstorm, but then eventually you start thinking like it's going to stop, right? And uh, so hopefully it, it kind of slows down there. It's cold, though. Bitter cold across much of the northern U.S. turns deadly. Bitter cold has taken hold of much of the northern United States. Even here in Oklahoma, it's colder. And it's expected to stay put for days to come. Uh, this, as two Minnesota cities, have already set records for low temperatures. And a city, of course, Erie there in Pennsylvania, continues to dig out from the record snowfall. Forecasters warned of hypothermia and frostbite from Arctic air settling in over the central U.S. and spreading east. CBS Chicago reports uh, that authorities were blaming or are blaming the death of a 62-year-old man found unresponsive in his vehicle Tuesday on accidental hypothermia from exposure to the cold. And CBS Louisville, Kentucky, uh, reports that a homeless, homeless advocates in nearby Cincinnati say a homeless man whose body was found Tuesday, probably succumbed to the cold as well. They're calling for more shelters. That's what happens. A lot of homeless people, when it gets really cold, they have to get into those shelters. That's why you see more homeless out on the coasts, where it's nicer, I think. The National Weather Service reported International Falls, Minnesota, which is the self-proclaimed icebox of the nation. I don't know if you want to live in the icebox, but some people do. Plunged to 37 degrees below zero, breaking the old record of 32 below set in 1924. Hibbing, Minnesota, 
uh, bottomed out at 28 below, breaking the old record of 27 below set in 1964. So there in the ice box, it is 32 below. I think that's colder than my actual ice box in my house. <laughs> Have you ever experienced temperatures that low in the negatives before? Uh, I don't know if I got that. I've ever been in that. I think probably uh, close to 20 below air temperature Ooh. and we're not talking i'm not talking about uh, uh wind chill i'm talking actual air temperature yeah uh, a couple of times one time we and i grew up in wisconsin of course uh one time they canceled school i think for almost a week because of the cold which is pretty unusual and it was close to that with really severe wind chills you start getting wind chills you know 60 below zero things like that and then one time also in minnesota uh i was there for a weekend and it was extremely cold and uh uh, I remember driving and, uh, you know, the window ice is up and you have your defrost on and it was so cold that with the defrost going full blast, it only kept a little area open. Everything else was still frozen. That's how cold it was. So, uh, and I had a, I have, happened to have a guitar in my car <laughs> and it cracked the wood, the cold did. So that was an unfortunate uh, time for me. <laughs> so what does that actually feel like? Like on your skin, on your face? Uh, painful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember one time we went out to, oh, well, I went to get the mail when I was living back in Wisconsin, just at the top of the driveway mailbox. I don't know, uh, 50 feet maybe. And I thought, and it was cold. It was a day that we were home from school because of the, how cold it was. So it was probably 15 below or something. And I thought, well, I'll just run up there quick. T-shirt, you know, just right. I'll just run up there. No problem. And uh, I made it. But by the time I got back, it was pretty painful. My face face was all you know the eyes start running immediately with like water and then you, when it's that cold as soon as you breathe through your nostrils they stick together Ooh. you instantly feel that so it wasn't a good idea on my part um it's severe yeah yeah it seems like that could easily get pretty deep into your lungs as well if you're if you're out there and maybe you're not warm enough but even if you're just out there and you're dressed up just breathing in air that's that cold could get to you too yeah you have to be careful uh what's the coldest you've ever been in I don't know, a little, maybe a little bit below zero, like negative one or negative two, or maybe around two degrees above. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't been nearly as bad as negative 30 below. Yeah, it's it's a strange feeling because it's kind of like with extreme heat, too, where when you go outside, you don't instantly feel it. You're kind of like, oh, this is okay. And then, you know, a few moments later, then it begins to set in. Uh, you know, I remember probably the hottest I have felt would be maybe out in the, near Palm Springs, California, where the sun just, you just feel like it's going to melt you into the pavement. <laughs> and then there are the other extremes too. So the U.S. is a fascinating place. You can you can have all kinds of extremes. Yeah, you really can. And it's uh, I think it's just kind of interesting to experience all of those things at least one time, as long as you don't get badly hurt by it. But it is interesting just to see the extremes everywhere and then to get an idea of what that actually feels like when you're in it. Yeah, it's not uh, not pleasant. So, but people are used to it up in those regions. I, I say used to it in terms of they know how to prepare for it. You never get used to it. You never, you know, when you see like you said the other day, stadiums where it's cold and you have guys there with no shirts on. <laughs> it's still cold, but they're trying to act like it doesn't bother them. It it still bothers you. It's just that um, I don't know. You maybe you expect it a little more or something. But there's there's no way you ever get used to that type of cold. It would kill you. You just can't get used to it like it's no big deal. Yeah, it's probably just a matter of people in really cold temperatures. It has to get quite a bit colder before they notice it, like uh, down in the 30s, whereas people who are from California, as soon as it hits the 60s, they're probably 
putting on an extra jacket or two. And that's, that's not something that someone in Minnesota or Wisconsin would even, <laughs> would even think about putting a jacket on for. And then it's probably the other way where if it gets up like close to 80 for people in the North, they're starting to be like, wow, it's uh, really hot out here when other people have 120 that they deal with every single day. Yeah. I think people want to, they want to kind of go the opposite of what is normal for their area. For example, uh, I know in Wisconsin when it started to warm up a little bit in the spring, maybe get up to 50 or 60 degrees. People are in shorts. <laughs> they're talking about swimming. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> but then I've seen it down here where it's real. you have a hot summer, you know, where it's in the hundreds. And then uh, you have a day where it dips down to about 80. Maybe it's raining. And you see, like, women wearing winter boots and things. <laughs> you're like, no. But you know the stuff was in the closet, and it's, they just can't wear it too often, so they really went for it. Exactly. But it's kind of ridiculous when you look at the temperatures and what people are wearing or doing. Yeah, that has, that has to be a lot of what it is. We get tired of having the same high level or low level all the time. So if it gets anywhere close to the opposite, that's finally when you can whip out those clothes that have been gathering dust. Some people have that. I don't know if it would be called like a, well, I don't know what it would be called, but where they want to wear the opposite for whatever the weather is. <laughs> My daughter has that. <laughs> if it's hot, she wants to wear jeans and boots, and if it's <laughs> cold, she wants to wear uh, shorts and a T-shirt. Is that a condition or a talent? I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's something. But I was like, what are you, why are you wearing this? This doesn't make sense for what's happening. Uh, they have the approval ratings out. President Trump he matches President Obama's end of the first year, 46 approve, 53 disapprove. All of that, even in the onslaught of the media being against him, they found that the media is three times more negative against President Trump than it was against President Obama. And still, he comes out with the same approval rating. So I think that's a, you could chalk that up as another win for the uh, president. And probably that approval rating is, is only going up because for a while I was hearing from a, a variety of different polls that it was like really low 30s, if that for his approval rating it has been going up because after a while it gets undeniable that he is winning a lot of quite substantial victories and the media does continue to expose its bias more and more it's it's actually unbelievable sometimes listening to the media they'll just present it like well this president is doing bad things and that's why we're three times more negative they 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 still try to have this veneer of objectivity when clearly they have an agenda at play there too yeah, I always wonder if the media will ever flip around and kind of come to his, you know, his side, but I, I doubt that they will. It's just <laughs> such a divide there, but yeah, there is he is having some victories. What does that mean? Does that mean that the US is, you know, on the track to being great again? Well, you have to look at the trumpet.com to to get more insight on that. Um he's trying, but uh you look at the way people live in general in the US and it's so contrary to God's law, you can't ever be great again. And the, and of course, the point is what made us great in the first place was uh, obedience to God's law, Abraham's <laughs> anyway, and uh, the blessings that came from that. And so the United States and Britain and Prophecy talks a lot about that as well. And that, that gets to the heart of the issue. So it is good to see some improvements on some levels, but you have to see that overall picture there too when you think about the direction the U.S. is heading. The refreshing part is just to see a leader with some element of common sense, which we haven't seen in a while, even though you can't, necessarily get your hopes up too much because prophecy says it's not going to end well and and like you said it is because of people who in this country have become so lawless we've all become so lawless that god just can't bless that no matter what kind of policies you put in place no matter how much sense different ideas might might have it still doesn't really 
uh, make a dent in the fact that we are breaking God's law and there has to be a penalty for that. Speaking of the negative uh, media stories, I saw a headline today where it said because of supposedly these new immigration policies or maybe just enforcing what's on the books, that that because of that, President Trump is endangering the lives of uh, some people that would get into the country, I guess, illegally, like they're at risk for death now, according to some doctor or something. And I thought, well, you know, if you're alive right now, you're at risk of death. <laughs> <laughs> That's the human condition. <laughs> It's just, it's an outrageous headline, you know, you could say that about any person anywhere ever, uh, but uh, again, it's just trying to make it out like his policies are going to kill people, and that's that's inflammatory to say the least, and, and completely biased reporting. And they've tried to make that point about every single policy he's put into place, like millions of people are going to die because President Trump wants this to be enacted in the country, and I mean... I think if you are trying to rob somebody, there's a risk of death. If you're trying to shoot a police officer, there's probably a risk of death. If you break any sort of law, sometimes what comes with that is a risk of death, too. I mean, even more so than just your average law-abiding citizen who's going about life and then is hit by some sort of tragic accident. If you're breaking laws, you should have some fear of consequences. There probably is a risk that they're taking there, and Hopefully that will deter more people from trying to enter the country illegally if there is a legitimate risk of death. That's a good point, yeah. If you if you live recklessly or against laws, then, yeah, you, your risk increases. Uh, Baltimore has had a bad year. Baltimore has now had four, uh, 343 homicides in 2017. It set the record for killings per capita. The homicide rate for 2017 is now 55.8 killings per 100,000 people. The previous record was 55.35 per 100,000 in 2015. The city suffered 344 homicides that year, but had thousands more residents, and so the per capita a number is higher, even though it's a few less deaths because there's less people living there. So hopefully that makes sense, but 55.8 killings per 100,000 people. So those, that's, those are pretty remarkable statistics if you think about it. I mean, we're not talking about like a war zone even though I guess we are, but it shouldn't be. And yet, you know, if you're in that city, you run a pretty high risk of having problems. Well, just imagine that being in the middle of a busy downtown square. There's going to be close to that many people in the area. And to think that out of those, out of that big crowd of people in a big uh, downtown square, that 55 of them could be killed because at any time just because of, uh, I guess the lawlessness of the criminals in in the city. It's it's pretty uh, shocking to even think of a number that high because we're we're consistently in big cities around groups that are that big and and of course um, I guess that's probably what comes with it sometimes, especially if you have leaders who tacitly encourage a lot of this violence. Yeah, so those numbers are uh, pretty shocking. Uh, I guess you could say on the positive side, New York and Chicago were down. They didn't have as many killings. So that's good. It's always good news. And, you know, it's not like we just want to highlight the bad, but at the same time, the numbers aren't great. I don't I don't know if it's per capita in those other places as well, because a lot of people are getting out of Chicago. And I don't know about New York's uh, population, but uh, in any event, you know, one homicide is too many. But some of these cities are getting more and more dangerous. And, of course, Baltimore they're always sort of on the radar because they they tried to well give their pro, people that were protesting supposed police brutality 
spaces to protest and to riot, and uh, you can see the results down the road. They haven't been good. And this gets back again to uh, just just the idea that um, p- people's lives are at risk. Uh, this is sort of going in the other direction where if you disarm police or you restrict what they're able to do, you're not presenting as much of a risk of death to these criminals who are wreaking havoc upon the lives of all of the law-abiding citizens. You have to actually go the other direction to, to get some some of these problems under control. If criminals know that, well, I could die today because the police can actually take decisive action against me, sometimes they might be a little bit less likely to commit a crime. Who knows? But at least if they do commit a crime, they're taken care of decisively. Yeah, they, if they know there there could be a immediate punishment, they may not do it. Uh, I, I mentioned yesterday about being down at a local mall, Penn Square Mall, and there was sort of a scuffle and, and things happened down there. And uh, that happens in different places, uh, but sometimes things don't happen, but people think they did, and the chaos that ensues. Lockdown after Aventura Mall shooting scare is the latest uh, impact from rumors going viral. And so there was this uh, mall... Uh, in uh, I think it was in Florida, and they it was the day before uh, Christmas, so a lot of people there. And somebody I don't know they thought there was a shooter. Somebody thought there was a shooter, and people start tweeting that this is happening and and putting all this up, and people are getting these messages. And so uh, people are trying to escape uh, from the shopping center in Florida. People are dropping their presents, uh, items being knocked over. Some people trampled each other. Children were separated from their parents, which that's terrifying. Once outside, shoppers spilled in a parking lot so jammed that there was little, if any, movement. Fueling the panic was something that has now become common, an explosion of voices on social media claiming to have heard gunfire that by all police accounts never happened. In one Twitter feed, a self-proclaimed investigative journalist posted a video of people running out of a, out of a mall toward a crosswalk as a man approached from the left. The tweet claimed that the man was holding a gun. That was not at all clear in the murky image, and it also wasn't even clear if the video was from that mall. But the voices are out there in the social media; people see it. And if you get something, if you hear something like that, you're not going to wait to find out. You're going to get out of there, and then you have all these problems ensue. So, social media can be handy in some ways to spread information, but it also spreads disinformation. And this is another case where the risk of death would be really high because they're coming out into a parking lot and they're all in such a rush to leave that they actually can't get away. Imagine the destruction that could be carried out by a terrorist in a situation like that. Or even if the, if there really is a gunman there and he follows people out into the parking lot and they're all stuck and they can't leave. I mean, it's a pretty terrifying scenario to even think about, but to go through all that and not to even have a shooter there, that's, that's pretty disappointing i mean to have people just spreading lies online and then i think this is just another good example that just because you read it on social media doesn't make it true we see that with news reports all the time where they end up being fake because you have a twitter account you can post something like you're a legitimate news source and that's the danger i think of just having everybody being able to um get out there and give information Again, sometimes it could be handy, but there's no repercussions, really, if you were wrong. Not that I know of. I mean, maybe at some point there would be, but you just say, oh, I, you know, I don't know, I, or I just retweeted what somebody else tweeted. 
and and there's no there's no repercussions there. Now the media is pretty irresponsible today in general, but typically if somebody came up with this big false report about something like that, you'd you'd be reprimanded, maybe lose your job, your credibility would be shot. Because your job is, as a reporter, to give factual information, or at least it's supposed to be. But, but here, this information spreads, and there's no penalty for it, for the misinformation. So everybody being an investigative reporter, quote-unquote, with their cell phone, um, they're not held to any sort of standard. And so uh, it, it's just a really interesting time because a lot of people don't believe the mainstream media for good reason. But then who do you believe? the guy down the street that said he saw something. It, it gets to be a time when the information stream is endless, but it's hard to know what to believe and what not to believe. Yeah, and that's this is something that's actually painted as a good thing, just the rise of people with cell phones who can put a video online in, in mere seconds. We've even noticed that with different news reports that stem from a very short video clip of a policeman's interaction with a c- civilian. And that is presented as the entire situation, even though the video could have been edited, even though maybe they didn't catch the beginning of what took place in that interaction. And and then all of a sudden, this video by some random person on the street is, t- is taken as the absolute truth. You don't need to look into the background of anybody or understand the context of the situation. It's just a matter of someone posted a video, look at it and judge for yourself. Yeah. Interesting uh, times there. You have to be careful with what you believe, I guess, as far as media goes. Uh, When you come to the end of the calendar year, there's always lots of things people look back on. Pew Research, their job is to research. And they they did, and they found out 17 striking findings from 2017. I'm glad it wasn't 2099. It'd be quite a list. (laughs) 99 things from the last uh, year. Uh, And here's a couple, or a few of the things we'll look at that they have found out. The partisan divides dwarf demographic differences on key political values. That's one of the things that they found out. Um, People, uh, let's see, let me find the interesting part here. There's a lot of information. (laughs) Uh, Well, it says the average gap between the views of Republicans and uh, those that lean that way and Democrats and those that lean that way across 10 political values has increased from 15 percentage points in 1994 to 36 points today. We're more divided. Two decades ago, the average partisan differences on these items were only slightly wider than differences by religious attendance or educational attainment and about as wide as differences across racial lines. Today, the partisan gaps far exceed differences across other key demographics. So... If you have something in your life that's different than the person next to you, religious difference, racial difference, whatever, the divide on how you feel about politics and issues is much wider than it used to be. I have noticed that a lot, even just listening to the language of, of different people. Like if a public figure comes out and makes a statement about diversity and inclusion, for example, that's a liberal, like you already right. know. If someone says something about how they can't stand political correctness in almost every case that's going to be a conservative it's pretty it's pretty obvious just in the way that people talk now um what their ideas are on every issue so so it is pretty clear that there are two opposed camps and uh that's not usually a good thing because uh overall trumping everything that we might disagree on we should be americans first but even with that there are people protesting the anthem and the flag, and they're ashamed of what the country even stands for. If we don't have those symbols to unite around anymore, we don't even have the common background of God helping us found this nation, then there's nothing to unite around, and that's what leads to civil war. 
Yeah, much bigger divides. And uh, like there was an author the other day that wrote about tribalism, the increase in tribalism. And it's true in a sense, people are kind of going into their tribes of ideologies. But uh, again, the only reason that particular author brought it out was because his tribe was losing. <laughs> so, you know, and I, thought, I read an article or I read the uh, headline the other day where uh, I think President Obama was talking about social media. And, it, you know, you, you don't want to get into just like the one camp or the other and and be, you know, totally focused in on one group. And I thought, well, that's not he doesn't really mean that. What he really means is people should see it my way. Right. <laughs> he doesn't mean that you should be able to take a look at everything. He means think about it my way, and that's that's a tough thing. Everybody is coming at this uh, this uh, partisan argument from that standpoint of we'll see it my way, though, and that's why we can never come to any common ground. Well, that article on tribalism, for example, how many phobias and isms were in there? Because I I wouldn't even have to read that without probably being pretty sure it happened a dozen or more times in that article because that's just what people turn to now. Uh, on the left, especially, they're just uh, insulting those who disagree with them, saying that you're a racist and a sexist and all this. And that's not a good way to unite the people, um, to act like most of the country has hatreds for whole entire groups of people when that's not true at all. That's not going to foster unity and brotherhood among all Americans. So why are they doing things like that? Why are they constantly spewing this fake news and all this nonsense if not to divide the country yeah and it's becoming more divided as pew discovered this is an interesting one that uh, pew discovered they said americans see fundamental differences between men and women but men and women have different views on the cause of these differences a majority of women who see gender differences in the way people express their feelings excel at work and approach parenting say differences between men and women are mostly based on societal expectations but men who see differences in these areas tend to believe biology is the root you know isn't that funny you think about um the idea the people that are say the climate change people and the thing they'll throw out there is science 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 even though it's a lot of junk science in there but that's what they're gonna throw at you and if you don't believe it they say what are you crazy it's science <laughs> If you try to tell somebody there's a difference between a man and a woman because of science, oh. they say, well, you're crazy. And well, bigoted. Which, well, which one is it? Right. Are we, do we believing science or we don't believe science? Right. And this is a case where we've been told for so long that women are like a lower class of humans, like they have been perceived this way by society and they need to do whatever they can to achieve equality, which, I mean, that's not true at all. God created us equal, uh, equal in spiritual potential obviously with different roles within a family and within society, but it doesn't mean that one is greater than the other. Uh, but that's how it always tends to be. Like even in a case where there's minorities in a country and they, they've been taught that they've been oppressed for so long and they need to try to climb back up the ladder. Um, anytime there's a situation like that, they're going to think it's society's fault that, uh, there's, there's a problem. Well, women think they've been oppressed because of i guess um their their role of staying in the home and being mothers raising the next generation as if that's some sort of an oppressive job when really it's not yeah that's a great point equal but different there is an equality among all humans but there's differences too and you can be different without being unequal doesn't mean every you know if everybody did the exact same thing in life that'd be a pretty boring world wouldn't it because on one hand uh, people want to trumpet diversity, 
but then on the other hand, they want everybody to be the same. Well, <laughs> which one is it? You can't have it both ways. Everybody has the same potential, like you said. Everybody has the same value, but there are differences in people, and that's okay. That should be that should be uh, celebrated because, you know, with the gender issue, uh, women are better at certain things than men are, and men are better at certain things than women are in general. You know, I don't know why that why people feel awkward about that. What's wrong with that? That's good because together they make a really good team. Yeah, and what you just said is probably a fireable offense at Google. If, if, if you say that there are biological differences between the genders, that would get you fired. Can I still use Google, though? The yes. Google things? Okay. It's, it's a helpful tool. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if they lean left. <laughs> I'm still going to use it to search things. Google wasn't interested in hiring me, so I'm not worried about, uh, <laughs> I'm not worried about that. Uh, here's another thing that uh, Pew Research found out. News stories about President Trump's first 60 days in office offered far more negative assessments than they did of the prior administration. Really? About six in ten stories on Trump's early days in office had a negative assessment, about three times more than in early coverage for Obama and roughly twice that of even President Bush and Clinton. Coverage of Trump's early time in office moved further away from a focus on policy agenda and more toward character and leadership. Uh, so, yes. By the way, they, uh, one news organization, they had their camera team go and they discovered that he was golfing the other day. They caught him golfing. Oh, no. It was breaking news on their news channel. Mr. Trump was yeah, golfing. Yeah, golfing. Yeah. Wow, I, I uh, didn't even know that was supposed to be a secret that he golfs. It's uh, every every president's golfed a little bit or a lot of bit, <laughs> um, but anyway, it just shows that you know. I was just thinking, wow, that's your job, you know. That day, you're getting paid to go track him down and see if he's golfing. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I bet he ate breakfast too. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of things that just aren't that consequential. But anyway, they're they're focusing on those. But uh, yeah, you you don't need Pew Research to tell you that there's been negative coverage. But officially, there has been negative coverage, and that is a stressful job. I mean. Obviously, a president of the most powerful nation in the world is going to have to have some sort of outlet to relieve stress. And golfing is by far not the worst thing you could be doing uh, to relieve stress. So so thankfully, he is just golfing and not, as they say, as they accuse him of watching TV eight hours a day. Here's an interesting one. Uh, Pew Research found this out. About 8 in 10 Americans say that they understand the risks and challenges of police work, but 86% of police say the public does not understand. Probably true. Mm-hmm. I can see both pe- both sides saying, yeah, I get it. I get that it's tough. But those that are actually doing it saying, you, you have no idea. Right. And they're probably right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've heard of people saying, you know, we understand that uh, the police have a tough job, but there's just no excuse for why this person was shot and yet if you throw them through the simulator and they're in the exact same position they probably nine out of ten times at least would have shot the same person in the same scenario because your life is at stake you can't just sit there on the couch as an outsider and say well i wasn't involved in this situation but obviously he shouldn't have been shot it's not that simple it never is and obviously People make mistakes in whatever field, whatever job they have. Everyone makes mistakes. It just happens to be a thousand times magnified if you're a police officer. Very difficult job. And uh, people would just just be wise to give them a break and follow the directions and that type of thing. Yeah, but it uh, doesn't happen sometimes. Oh, well, just think about that logically from your own experience. Do the police go out of their way? to stop people and hassle them and make sure that they have a miserable day. I've never had an experience like that. 
the only way they ever approach me is if I might have been breaking a law, if I was speeding or if I rolled through a stop sign. Then they might talk to me, but even then, you can tell they're reluctant to do it. It's not like this is their favorite thing to do is go give people a hard time for, for breaking a law. Yeah, and I mean, if if you said to me too, like, hey, go out and see if you can attract the police's attention, I have some pretty good ideas how you could do it. And so I don't do those things. <laughs> exactly. You know, you you can make a little bit of a spectacle of yourself or look a little suspicious. And then, yeah, you're probably going to get some attention. How about not doing that? Being being above reproach and avoiding the appearance of evil, which is a biblical principle. And it is very true, despite what people say, that the way you dress matters. The way that you avoid hanging out in certain places does matter. All of All of these factors come into play. So if you're in the wrong place and you're dressed the wrong way, and you just happen to look suspicious, the police are obligated to seek out, seek out what is going on and make sure something worse doesn't come from that. Uh, that's not the police's fault. That is our own fault for putting ourselves in that situation. Yep, for sure. Uh, about 6 in 10 Americans, they say, between the ages of 18 and 29, say the primary way they watch television now is with streaming services on the Internet. Uh, older Americans typically uh, don't. They're more into watching regular television. So the way people consume media is changing a little bit. Uh, here's one that's uh, not going to surprise anyone. Views, this is what Pew Research found out in 2017. Views on whether whites benefit from societal advantages that blacks do not have are split right down the racial lines. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not shocking there. Uh, just a complete divide in the way people perceive whether they have advantage or disadvantage. And this is an interesting topic because uh, a lot of the time when someone is alleging that uh, there's police brutality, they will tell a white person they have no credibility on the issue because they've never been black and they could never relate to it. But when it comes to white privilege, they demand that you believe there's white privilege despite the fact that they're not white and they don't know how it actually works. So that's, that's quite an obvious double standard there. Uh, we all have different experiences. Uh, I don't think it's as much divided by race as as people would like to say it is. Um, you know, if you are in this living in the same neighborhood, you have the same job, the same income level, uh, you drive the same type of car, you have the same type of family, and all that. It doesn't really matter if you're white or black. You're going to ha- be having a very similar experience to each other, and likewise, um, you know, regardless of rich or poor, you're going to be very similar to each other. If you're of the same income level living in the same neighborhood, uh, it's not so much like a poor white person relates more to a rich white person than he does his poor black neighbor. That's that's not true. It's more like a matter of income level is what makes us more different than our race does. Yep. Uh, that division is hard to uh, hard to heal, especially when um, uh, the, f- the, the fire is being uh, uh, fanned by the media. It's always a talking point. And a topic, and it's really interesting. You go back and read some of the history of slavery and the Civil War and all of that and what uh, what the debates were back then, what people were debating. Uh, it's just very interesting to look at. And even Abraham Lincoln, I found it very interesting in, in studying about his life. Of course, he, he felt slavery was a wrong, which, which it obviously is. But he also didn't think that we'd be able to get along very well in the nation. Even He, he knew that slavery wasn't a good thing, but he just said, I don't know. I can't see how everyone's going to get along. Not just racially different, but just so many different ways of thinking. He didn't know. And, uh, you know, with a lot of that, he said, well, you know, that's 
God's going to have to work those things out. I don't know. But I do know that it's not right for one group to enslave another, and he was right about that. But he wasn't under any delusion that, uh, you know, all of a sudden everybody would just get along great. And and people, I mean, just look at it. It doesn't, people just don't get along very well because they have just such different ideas about things. And again, multiculturalism is one of these things that sounds amazing in theory that no matter your race, no matter your background, no matter what part of the world you come from, no matter what type of culture you hold dear, you can all just coexist. And sadly, history does not bear that out. That's not how societies have ever worked with with multiculturalism. Yet we still plow ahead trying to do the same old things that have failed repeatedly. Obviously, uh, in the case of America right now, it's not like you could uh, separate races anymore or or you know, separate cultures, but there does have to be an underlying underlying principle that we all can abide by. We all have to be proud of the nation's founding and we, we should be God fearing. Those are the things that should bind us all together. But sadly, those don't anymore either. Yeah. Many divisions, uh, especially when it comes to uh, religion and, and uh, so forth. Uh, make sure you check out the trumpet.com today. The top story is how Japan's quote unquote peace idiots <laughs> are losing. <laughs> That's what they're called. The actual term, I can't even pronounce it right. Hellwaboki, I believe. H E L W A B O K E. So you'll have to look that up too. But a look at the number of small steps Japan is taking to rebuild its military. Uh, and they are on the uh, move there, building their, uh, re- rebuilding their military. So make sure you check that out there at uh, thetrumpet.com. Also, listen for the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today with your host, Stephen Fleury. He talks about a, a, a really interesting topic today. The fact that many people today feel the greatest virtue is that of tolerance. But on the flip side, if a person is branded as intolerant, then they must be destroyed at all costs. <laughs> so the people that say tolerance is the main thing uh, also want to destroy people that they feel are intolerant, which would make them intolerant as well but it, it gets it gets murky that's another one of those liberal code words they talk about tolerance all the time and yet they repeatedly expose themselves as the least tolerant of everybody in the entire world because like you said they go on the crusade against anyone who will not bake a cake for a homosexual couple they go on the crusade of anyone who won't uh take pictures at said wedding so so that's uh not very tolerant those are people who disagree with their social views and apparently are not allowed to live peacefully side by side with them anymore just because of a different difference in opinion well you know when you're thinking about something like the issue of tolerance um i think it's always interesting to kind of make it make it a, a smaller thing and think about it in like your own house okay so what if what if your kids started to play that hand and you you know allowed it and they said look uh dad <laughs> um, we're going to eat three gallons of ice cream today. <laughs> and I said, no, that's not, I don't, I don't, that's against the rule of the house. And I said, well, you're intolerant. <laughs> and, and I got, you know, dethroned as the, right. uh, the head of the house. And then the kids just ate all the ice cream. I mean, in other words, uh, you do what we tell you. And if you don't, you're intolerant. Well, and, that, and that's what's happening at a national scale. You're going to do what we say, what we determine is right. And if you do not, well, then you're intolerant. Your example is actually very accurate, too, because what we're seeing here is tolerance of the sin, the immorality, the abomination, while anyone who disagrees with it, while they're not being intolerant about it, they're, they just have a personal disagreement that they're not trying to enforce on anyone else, but then they get attacked for that. So we're tolerating 
the sin, but not anyone who would dare disagree with it. Even if, even if the people who disagree are not a threat in any way to homosexuals or whatever else it might be. Yeah, there's some great stories that are covered there in the in the Trumpet Daily, in the sense that I mean, they really highlight the issue he's talking about, and uh, you know where somebody will come out and say they disagree with a particular lifestyle, and then they get run out of town basically, and they say you've done irreparable damage <laughs> to to you know our lifestyle. Well, how at some point you, you there's some things you cannot tolerate, right? I mean, you've everyone's heard that before, like I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. Uh, <laughs> That's that's true. There are things that you should not tolerate, because really, what they mean by uh, tolerance is lawlessness. Mm-hmm. We just want to break the law, and don't you tell us we can't? And that's all that it means. Just because you personally disagree with that choice of lifestyle, you are then exiled from society. It's interesting. Uh, it's happened before. And there's a uh, and there's a lot of examples brought up about that on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today with your host Stephen Flores. So check that out here on KPCG. Also, you can find it online at thetrumpet.com and at uh, kpcg.fm. With the uh, calendar year flipping over, sometimes people want to uh, start fresh and they feel like they need a new diet. CNN asked that question: Do you need a new diet? For the new new calendar year, if you've been struggling with your weight, you might turn to a new diet for help with shedding pounds. What's it going to be in 2018, they say? Is it going to be Weight Watchers, the Paleo Diet, the Jenny Craig Diet, the Low Carb Diet? Some nutritionists say rather than jumping on the latest diet bandwagon or trend, it's time to consider embracing a non-diet diet, basically a set of guiding principles that can help you lose weight and keep it off for good. So in other words, instead of saying I'm going to do such and such for six months, you just say uh, I'm going to change my lifestyle, mm-hmm. and that's and I think that's a good point. Uh, the biblical principles are there, you know, uh, moderation in all things. You know, there's some things even that are good for you, but too much isn't good for you, and there are guiding principles for that. So some people get more specific, and some don't. I don't know that one's totally better than the other, but uh, you don't want to get in the yo-yo cycle where you know well, for three months I'm going to do nothing but such and such, and then if you go back to your old ways, even if you lost some weight, you're going to gain it all back probably and more. And so uh, they're talking about a lifestyle change, which I think is a good point to bring up. Very true because traditional diets are often viewed as restrictive and they're extremely different from how we normally eat, which is why uh, it's, it's actually very hard to go on a diet because you're making all these changes, you're cutting out bread or meat or dairy or whatever it might be uh, entirely in a lot of cases or you're just like tripling your intake of certain other things and that's like so different from what we normally do that it's it's almost like we offset the benefit of the diet once we go back to how we were eating when what you could be doing is just putting these principles in place like if you notice personally that uh, too many eggs or too much bread makes you tired you would limit those things but you wouldn't necessarily have to cut it out because cutting it out obviously is pretty restrictive and it's uh, a lot less enjoyable if you can never have dessert ever again in your whole life that's not too enjoyable but once in a while having it uh, could be a pleasant treat and it's funny how the mind works because as soon as you say, well, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to have this one thing, then you think about it a lot more sometimes. Right. <laughs> no more dessert ever. And then you're like, boy, I could really go for some dessert right now. That makes it a lot harder too. It's it like does. the forbidden fruit. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, they, I think it's, it's some good points there about uh, just making some lifestyle changes that last. And, you know, it's hard because everybody wants to get uh, fit quick. 
no matter what it is in life, we all want to get there quick, get fit quick, get rich quick, whatever it might be, and and not realize that, well, you, you, we have to apply the principles uh, that are biblical that get us to that. And it takes time to achieve the goal. But then once you've achieved it, then it's very sustainable, too. Mm-hmm. I actually bought that Tom Brady book yesterday, the one they had about his, uh, I guess, his diet and exercise program. How could you, as a Buffalo Bills fan? Well, I know, I know. Just, just, just analyze that for a second and realize how unbiased I am. It's amazing. I know it is. It takes a lot of character to do something like that, I have to say. <laughs> but but I it did seem like uh it was a fascinating book just because I've heard about it like 20 or 30 times from a variety of different people. Um whether it's on TV or just in person or online or whatever, it's being brought up all the time and there's some things in there that I'm sure would be really difficult to hold to. Like I think he drinks over 20 glasses of water a day or something like that he's a pro athlete (laughs) he's a pro athlete he's the greatest quarterback (laughs) of all time yeah uh but i'm sure there are a lot of principles in there where he is extremely durable he's a he's not a very big person and yet he takes these monstrous hits from these defensive linemen sometimes and you wonder how he gets up from it and a big part of that is just because he's very flexible he he takes meticulous care of himself so that he can withstand that type of punishment yeah, he's 40 now, isn't he? I think so. And he's he's in contention for MVP again. So, uh, yeah, phenomenal. He's done a great job. The, the new fad diet in the NBA is, uh, I guess it's the vegetarian. That's mm. what a lot of those guys are trying to do now. So they, they go up and down, and, I, you know, maybe they'll think maybe that'll work okay for him until, you know, a leg shatters or something because of, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's extremes in any of it, and you have to be careful. But like you said, you know, diets aren't really one-size-fits-all either. You know, different stages of life, different uh, – body chemistry some people mm-hmm. can eat certain things other people cannot even if they're healthy things but their body just doesn't like it so you have to use some wisdom there but i i do like the fact that they're talking about maybe uh just having some overriding principles and living by those and uh that's better than say um the yo-yo extremes that we often see right i mean because for someone like tom brady a lot of his his goals are probably not attainable because he's he probably spends all day uh worried about his physical health so that he can he can play to his peak level in football and a lot of us have office jobs and we're sitting down we couldn't necessarily keep up with him but just the fact that he hydrates a lot just the fact that he does analyze what he eats before just stuffing it down the fact that he stretches all the time things like that are things that you could apply those are general principles that while you might not reach his level of like cups of water a day you could still drink more and that's a good principle to live by in general yeah we've been looking this week at uh, this great booklet at the com. solve your money troubles that's always uh something people think about <laughs> oftentimes maybe during tax time i guess and this time of the year solve your money troubles it gives a lot of good practical tips about how you can improve your financial situation including getting out of debt and saving some and then you have to ask yourself the question also Okay, because all those things are very good to do. Uh, but what's the what's the point? Is uh, is that going to bring the ultimate happiness? Is that the the goal? Is uh, getting a lot of money? Well, it's not. But uh, but uh, we should be following financial principles. Uh, Jesus Christ, in some of his last instructions to his followers before his death, revealed how we can be happy in uh, John fifteen ten and eleven. And he said that if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in in you and that your joy might be full. And so the only way to experience true happiness is to keep God's commandments. And those include financial laws as well. You know, are you happier when you 
have uh, some money in the bank or are you not, uh, more happy when you don't? Most cases, you're ha- a little happier when you do, a little more <laughs> comfortable, <clears throat> but it comes from following God's laws. God's laws are more than just, say, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, spiritual law. The, there's that component as well, but then there are very, very specific physical principles for health, for finance, for all those things, uh, great guiding principles for life. And so the, the attaining happiness comes from following those laws, all of them. Uh, not just going after money or wealth or fitness or fame or whatever people might go after. It's following those laws of God. Right. And that's probably something that a lot of people might overlook is that uh, the spiritual law, the ten, the Ten Commandments are not the only laws that God expects us to keep because those actually apply to every aspect of life. Like this whole booklet is about finances. These are laws that fall right in line with what God tells us in the Bible. So if we do follow those financial principles, we're happier when, when we have a little bit of pocket money, for example, you don't feel like you're scratching and clawing to get to your next paycheck. Uh, that is a way to feel a little bit more peace of mind. Uh, and, and also, uh, just, just having the right focus and not trying to blow all our money on cars or whatever other indulgences are out there. Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong wrote really well about that. Just how every human being has a void in their lives and many people try to fill that in a variety of different ways. Some ways are really destructive. Other ways are pretty uplifting. But the ultimate way is just by letting God fill that void. And if he's first, then he provides the money. He provides all these other benefits as well. Yeah, one of the important uh, just attitudes to have when you're going through life and trying to have your finances in order and other things is to be content. Being content with what we have also makes us happy, according to a lot of researchers. That doesn't mean that you should break the law and then be content with the result. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be the right way to look at it. But do what you can and then be content. You know, not everybody's going to have the same exact wealth or the same exact, you know, uh, opportunities in that way. But being content with what we have does make us happy. Uh, it can be hard for people in prosperous nations to realize that, but money just can't buy happiness. High income does not equal high fulfillment. And even if we say we know that, which everyone would say I know that, <laughs> in most cases people just don't really believe it. Probably because most people haven't been on that side of it to have all that kind of money. And so if you haven't been there, it's hard. You know, you think, well, but if I was there, I'd be different, right? You always hear that. Somebody says, well, if I won the lottery, I wouldn't blow it. <laughs> and then what do you hear when somebody wins the lottery? I wish I'd never won the lottery because now it's life's worse than it ever was. Well, that's really what it is, is it comes down to financial freedom. And a lot of the time we think we have to be millionaires or billionaires to truly have financial freedom. Whereas if we just follow the right principles, if we're saving, if we're avoiding debt, uh, we will have enough money in the bank to where we feel comfortable. Uh, it does happen that all these millionaires as well think that they need a lot more and therefore they are blowing a lot more of that money and probably end up having as much left over as the rest of us do. So we could actually be better off with more peace of mind, with more happiness and fulfillment just by applying the right financial principles that someone who is rich and irresponsible with that money uh, might not be as happy because they haven't applied the same principles. Yeah. And if they're looking to that wealth as the cause of the happiness, that never works. That just doesn't. That, wealth isn't wrong. But if that's the God or if that's the idol, or if that's the, the source of happiness, then it, it falls pretty flat. Um, you, you see examples all the time of people who have done well, uh, usually athletes or somebody that came into it pretty quickly, and uh, you know then they've got 10 cars, and they're really nice cars. Well, 
I don't know, is number 11 going to do the trick or 12? I mean, how many how many do you need? But yet at the same time, if everybody had access to go do that, it would be hard to resist it because you would start thinking like, well, you know, I it, some days it's, it's nice. I want to put the top down so I could use a convertible as well. <laughs> but then what if it snows? Well, then I need an SUV. I mean, you could, where in reality, most people would get by with their car one or two maybe uh, in some cases. Uh, but if you had more wealth, you'd be thinking about it a lot more. And it's very difficult to, to have a lot but not have it become the main part of your life. And uh, as uh, this booklet points out and a lot of research points out, uh, you know, if somebody has $100,000 a year, boy, they feel like they need 200000 It's never, It's never enough, and that's why God warns against covetousness. That's why it's a law, because covetousness doesn't know any bounds. You could, you could own the earth. And then say, well, how come I don't have Mars? <laughs> like, where would it stop? Very true. And, and it's, it's also true that money, extra money does tend to disappear, whether it's through 10 cars or an extra mansion or whatever it might be. These wealthy people end up with very little left over a lot of the time just because of how tempting it is to spend all this money. And we're all, we're all sort of like that where if we have a bit of extra money, we usually don't want to save all of it. We want to enjoy a few, a few things. We just happen to, on this level, uh, not be able to buy an extra mansion with our extra money. So we're all, we're all sort of going through, uh, similar experiences just with, uh, our level of, uh, luxury decreased in this case. Uh, Luke twelve fifteen, the RSV revised standard version says, take heed and beware of all covetousness for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You always hear people say you can't take it with you. That's true. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. At the end of the day, nothing, you can't uh, live longer, typically. Uh, I mean, maybe, you know, in some cases, it, you would be able to have a better lifestyle that would maybe keep you alive a little longer, but it, the life ends, you know? And I think at the end, when people get close to the end, they think, what was it all for, you know? And But again, the the principle is that you should you should have abundance and you should leave some for the next generation. It's not wrong at all to do that, but it can't be the main focus of your life because our life doesn't uh, exist because of uh, finances or for them, you know, in terms of having a lot of things like that. Uh, the relationship with God has to be right first. That has to be the center uh, of life. And so even though um, God wants people to be prosperous, it can't become the center focus of their life, and that's the point. Right, and and it's, uh, it's definitely a, a fact as well that uh, anytime you see someone who is really close to God, has a really solid family life, is putting simple financial principles and health principles into practice, they're far happier than a lot of these rich and famous people who are miserable. I mean, it's you see that in the news all the time, like someone's fifth divorce or, or you know, some sort of affair that they committed or they've gone bankrupt, all these types of things. They don't. They have a void that's not filled, and if you just are following God, those types of people are going to be a whole lot more happy. Solve your money troubles. It's at the uh, trumpet.com, and it is a free booklet. Make sure you uh, check it out. That's all the time we have for today on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live on this Thursday. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Those are coming your way for Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.